I think I've asked you before how many saints in the room. How many full-time ministers in the room? A smattering. How many want to be full-time ministers? <laughs> ah! How many would like to see this room full of strong, vibrant, healthy Christ followers? You mean some of you don't? Come on, come on. Well, actually, the two are connected. That will not happen until we all see ourselves as full-time ministers. I'm going to explore that and unpack that a little bit. And ascension is key to this. So, <laughs> a little bit of humor. Anyone having a little ascension deficit disorder? ADD? Where is he? Where's he gone? I can't see him. <laughs> okay, let's move on. So, Paul begins in his passage in Ephesians with, he is urging, he spent three chapters reflecting on the nature of God and what he's done. And now he wants to urge or exhort a translation. The author says, I beseech you. I kind of like the beseech word. It's got some energy to it. But he says, live up to the calling. The NIV loses this. There's two callings. The calling with which you were called. You see, we've, we all have a vocation. We've been called by God to a purpose. And he says, live up to it. Don't hold back. But do it with great humility, with gentleness, with patience, long-suffering, as the authorized says, and with care for one another, bearing one another in love. If there is ever a picture of the nature of Jesus and what we're to grow up into, it's humility, gentleness, patient, long-suffering, and it's bearing with us miserable people in love. And that's the model. We have a great calling. You have a wondrous, wondrous calling. If you're unsure about that, I encourage you to, to um, when you're at home, just take Ephesians 1, verses 3 to about 14, and read it. It's one sentence in the original language. But Paul there talks about that we, God has blessed us. He's blessed us in the heavenly realms. He's blessed us in the place of his presence with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. He chose us in him. He chose us to be holy, saints, and blameless, forgiven, righteous, and he predestined us to adoption, to sonship and daughtership. Sonship significant because of what sonship meant in the culture of the day. But nevertheless, it's, we're, we're incorporated into Jesus, his son. There is nothing that the Father has left out that is not yours because of your hope in Jesus Christ. A little bit of excitement in the room about that. We are saints and sons, saints and children of God, holy ones. So live up to that. Paul is right. I urge you, make every effort to keep, to maintain the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Unity is a gift because our oneness is found in one God. Our oneness is to the degree of which we are one with Him. And if we're not one with another, we are not one with God. 
I would suggest. Sort that out. Jesus said, don't go bringing your, your gift to the altar if you're in division and discord with your brother. Sort that out first. You can't be one with me, you see, without recognizing you're one with another. That is my gift to you. Protect it at all cost. And we are one. There's one Lord, one faith. One appears many times. One God, one Father of all, above all, through all, and in all. Everything is in one. There are strains of the Shema, the great Jewish prayer. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your strength. This is the great revelation of God to the people of Israel as they've been brought out of captivity. And the same message is true for the church. You are one because God is one. We're going to do a bit of theology today. I hope that's okay. So our lifestyle is to be shaped by our identity in Christ. We seek to live like him and for him. That's what it means to follow him. Talked a bit about that last week. And our unity and, and recognising living into our calling are so key to our maturing. We have to find unity in our diversity. Look around you. Is there anyone like you? Is there anyone you like? <laughs> Hopefully there are some that you like. But we're different. We speak with different accents. We have different heritage, different stories, different likes and dislikes different passions and preferences. But we're one. We belong to one another. And without celebrating that very diversity, we will have no unity. Families struggle with this. There's no surprise we struggle with it in the church. Communities struggle with this when outsiders and people who are different come in. Our culture is rife with this, but not so, Paul would say, in the church. There is neither slave nor free, male nor female, Greek nor Jew. You're all one. If you're in Christ, because he is one. You get the one thing? So what's the climax? What's the pinnacle of Jesus' life and ministry? We, we often think about the cross because that's a pretty significant thing, particularly in John's Gospel. It's the place of great glory. We think of the great resurrection. He's been raised from the dead in which is our hope. But I want to suggest to you, as I'm pondering myself, I think it's his ascension. It happens on a Thursday. We often miss it. Because we like Sunday. But it's a good reminder that to follow Christ is a seven-day-a-week calling. I just threw that in there. That came to me. Peter, preaching on the day of Pentecost, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. You see, it was predicated upon his being exalted, his ascension. Paul himself, as he ponders this humble servant in the book of, in the letter to the Philippians, God has highly exalted him. He who humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has exalted him and raised him to the highest place and given him the name which is above every name. That's where you are. 
Jesus himself, in his own words to Mary Magdalene in the garden after his resurrection, don't, don't cling to me. For I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. He didn't say, go and tell them I'm raised. It's interesting that, isn't it? He says, go and tell them I am ascending. Is there something in this? Lord, lift our gaze. So what's in it for us? Well, what's in it for God, really, because everything's for Him, all things in Him and for Him. Firstly, with the ascension comes great authority to us. So that was from last week. Anyone remember last Sunday? Please, does somebody remember last Sunday? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me because he's been ascended to the right hand of God, to the throne on high. Therefore, I, therefore I, I give that to you. I share my authority with you. How does he do that? Well, because we're in him. We're one with him. If Jesus has it, we have it. Is that too grand? It is a bit, but believe it. You've give, been given authority not to go and do what you want, not to live for yourself, but to replicate yourself, to make disciples. Don't need to labor that one. But authority gives us the right to act. After spent the last few days with Carol and Dan for some of that, um, with our archbishop and a couple of bishops in our sort of annual summit get-together, small group, but actually really encouraging, to be honest. There was little or no pomp and ceremony. Um, it was like a family getting together. And I was really touched by the Archbishop. He's from the Congo. And it's a different world out there. But he, he says, you know, we have no words for um, aunts, uncles, cousins. He says everybody is either a father or a mother or a brother or a sister. I, I love that. Because we're all one. We belong to one another. We're part of a family. And there was a sense of being together with family, extended family. But people and bishops and archbishops who loved us. And we talked about mentoring and discipleship. But it was this sense of there's an empowering comes through the people who've been put in places of authority by the Lord to say, go and act. Just go and do it. Love on people as I'm loving on you. Now, we, when we get into that whole use and abuse of power and politicalizing the church, we get into problems. But when we remember we're brothers and sisters and with fathers and mothers, there is great empowering. And that is who the Lord is to us. So you have authority. Secondarily, our humanity is both redeemed and returned to its place with God. Isn't it wondrous that... Uh, Jesus, in his humanity, has taken our humanity into the throne room, into the place of God's presence. He's the firstborn amongst many brothers and sisters. And in his humanity, that's why we have hope for our humanity, that this is not all that there is. But you see, God's heart is for all humanity. God, who is rich in mercy, Paul writes, couple of chapters earlier, because of his great love with which he loved us, family, even when we were dead in trespass, mercy, 
made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So here's some theology. Here's some, we need some kind of revelation of the Spirit in this. Right now, Jesus is with the Father in glory. And we are seated with him in the heavenly places. Not we will be seated, we are. Because we're in him. We're one with him. We need to get a, a broader perspective of who we are because of our oneness with the one who is one. God. One over all things. That is his heart and passion. And in that place, Jesus prays for you. Just, just let that sink in. Jesus who holds you to his heart and knows you and loves you is interceding for you. Who is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Just ponder that for a moment. We, we brush over these things so quickly sometimes that the God of the universe, the creator, the lover of your soul that we sang earlier, Jesus knows you by name he knows every circumstance of your life, even those that are yet to be. Just like he said to Peter, you know, the enemy wants to sift you, he wants to destroy you, but I've prayed for you. And when you are restored, yeah, you're going to go through turmoil and trial, and you're going to fail, but when you are restored, you see it's indestructible, this life, in him, with him. And whatever you're carrying, don't carry it alone. Don't believe you're alone. Don't believe that God doesn't care. How could a loving God allow this to happen? He's with you in the midst of it. He weeps with you. And he promises joy in the morning. The weeping remain for the night. This is our God. And everything we say about God is there's an invitation that we would live up to that calling for ourselves, for others. And we can't do that on our own. We're not meant to, though. We're meant to through the indwelling Spirit of Christ, you see. We carry His life in us. Like Paul says, I don't even live anymore. It's Christ who lives in me. Next, responsibility has been delegated responsibility has been delegated. Who likes delegation? Who wants to be delegated to? We don't like dumplegation. You ever heard that term? You know, the boss comes in, here, boom, deal with this. Let me know if there's a problem. No, that's not a good way of delegating. But God has delegated responsibility to each of us. There is a call upon your life. That is the calling. It's not just to go to heaven. You're already there. So what else? The Christian life is not about going to heaven when you die. It's about expressing his life, his kingdom, here upon the earth, which is our destiny, the recreated earth. So there's work to do here. He has delegated responsibility. Now Paul quotes Psalm 68, but he twists it a little bit. 
68 is about the conquering kings in that time when a king would return back to the home city, the home country, and he's, uh, it's this victorious because they've won. And in his train, uh, the oppressors, the enemies, and, and, and we're entering the city gates, and with that comes the booty, the gifts. And yet Paul takes that and says, yeah, the Lord has entered the gates of heaven in his train of the principalities and powers, because those are the real enemies, the forces of wicked and darkness that he has overcome. But he gives gifts to men and women. He bestows gifts to us all. Gifts have been given. Kind of the title of my talk. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Christ descended first and then ascended. Now, unfortunately, there's been, a, I think, a slight misinterpretation of this idea of, well, did Jesus go into hell? And we got preoccupied with that, particularly earlier in earlier centuries in the church. And in fact, one translation of the Apostles' Creed, which is one of the earliest creeds, is he descended to the dead, and some say he descended into hell. <coughs> I think what Paul is referencing here is that God descended to the earth, which has enough hell in it. He experienced it. The place of Deadness in trespass and sin, the place of crucifixion, the place of seeming abandonment. You see, hell is less of a place and more of a condition that we have been rescued from. But because he's ascended, he has apportioned gifts, grace gifts. Now, all of us have abundantly received grace. In fact, he's mentioned earlier, the riches of God's grace that he lavished upon us. You have been lavished upon. That's why you're all smiling so much right now. On the inside, at very least. God has lavished. But he says, also, we have different gifts. This is actually what Paul says in Romans. We have different gifts according to the grace given. You see, Christ apportions grace gifting. And he calls people to certain tasks. But he calls everyone to something. Verse 11, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Why? To equip the people to be ministers. Actually, it says for works of service. A minister is one who serves. To, be a, to minister is to serve. To minister is to be like Jesus, who served. How many ministers in the room? If, you're fo- if you've chosen to follow Christ and to appropriate receive the blessings that he wants you to enjoy, you can't do that, A, without being reconciled to your brother, we've talked about that, but B, without serving him, ministering to him. He's given you a gift. Beware you don't bury it or lose it. But, if we are to become mature, if we are to grow into the body of Christ, into maturity, into that wondrous picture we talked about, we need the balance of ministries. Now, sometimes the church doesn't feel too bad with pastors and teachers. If you're going to care for me and uh, teach me some stuff, that's good. 
kind of one of the unfortunate things we did in professionalizing the church and paying clergy is that the people began to think, well, we've got them to do the work. That's the very opposite and antithesis of what God's purpose is. On the contrary, the, the pastors and teachers are here to equip all of us to do the work of ministry. But also we need the apostles. The apostles are the ones who are kind of sent out. We need this balance of leadership in our community. The apostolic, the initiator, the trying new things, the going boldly to go where no one else has gone. We need the prophetic. The prophetic calls us back to the word of God, back to the heart of the Father that speaks the word that we all need to hear in our particular time and season. But it comes from this heart of the Father. We need the word of God spoken today. We need the evangelist. The evangelist is Anyone here got good news to tell? I can tell you all have because of the smiles on your faces. Without a balance of ministry, we will not have maturity. But if, if the expectation of the many is that we've hired others to do the work, we will not have maturity either. We will have burnout and dysfunction and slothfulness. You can read about that in Proverbs. So the work of leadership, the work of the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher is to equip the saints, is to teach the saints how to do it in order we would grow up into Christ, that we would all serve. This is the heart of it, that we would all become the, the, Greek, the diakonos, which means the servants, which we get the word deacon from, but it's not a position, it's a calling that we all have. I remember when I was first became a Christian, I think the spirits were, you know, I was just so overcome and overwhelmed with the sense of gratitude that instinctively it's like, what can I do? How can I help out? Give me something. It's like there's a compulsion, I think, that comes with the spirit. It's the spirit's work in us. Now, this clergy laity thing got us into some trouble. Clergy we get from the old Latin name clericus, which is Latin for a priest built upon that old priestly notion and we, we associate that with people who are sort of learned, studious. Well, then we had the Greek influence. Now, the Greek word for priest is hierus. Hierus. In fact, the high priest is the archierus, the chief priest. And from that we get hierarchy. And we think the church is about hierarchy. No, it's not. It's about the Lord and us. And if leaders go anywhere, they go underneath. Serving and sacrificing. And we are a holy priesthood after all. There's no hierarchy in the body. The Old Testament was that, but the New Covenant is not. And unfortunately, in sort of reinforcing, you know, ordaining to the priesthood, it's like we become different people. We even get a different voice. We speak differently. We're ontologically changed. But I sense there's, there's, there's a change from that. And I sense that's true in the mission, the actual mission of which I've been a part. As, you know, we brush shoulders with one another, irrespective of our differing roles. Now, interestingly, though some are called apostles, we're all sent. Remember last week? We need a, an identity of being sent to go, to move. 
don't sit still. Though some are prophets, you can all prophesy, Paul says. Which is to receive and share an impression, a word from God for someone. Though some are evangelists, we're all called to give a reason for the hope that is within us. Though some are teachers, the right Hebrew says you should all be teachers. The trouble is you're immature. I can't give you solid food. I can only give you milk. It's like a baby. And you should be feeding others. You should be teaching. See, we're all called to that. And though some are pastors, teachers, I think we're all called to care for one another. That seems fair. But if we're not all caring and we're relying on a few, if we're not all evangelists and relying on a few, if we're not all prophesying and relying on an even smaller few, we cannot grow. We cannot become all that God wants us to be. The greatest among you, Jesus said, shall be your servant. So I've labored this one a little bit. The beauty is the gift has already been given. You don't have to ask for this. You've been given. God has held nothing back. If you've received Christ, if you've received the Spirit, you have received the equipping, the gifting that you need. You may just need equipping. This is where the place of mentoring comes in. This is where the place of walking one with another. Because left to ourselves, we get disoriented. We get distracted. We get confused. We kind of try things without good wisdom and encouragement and support. And so we flounder and we struggle. But we're not meant to do that alone, you see. We're meant to be apprenticed. Now, apprenticeship's kind of gone out the window a little bit, isn't it? You just go on YouTube or Google something. And we've got to go back to some of the old paths and the old ways of walking with, of mentoring, old with young. And that includes very young. My final bit, I need to finish is God is faithful. In, in the ascension, we have the faithfulness of Christ because he's coming back. What goes up must come down. Mind you, what came down had to go up again. But you see, but you see it's about bringing heaven to earth. That's why I said this is our destiny. Christ will return. One day the kingdom will be fully established. Let your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. Let the powers of darkness be ultimately destroyed and removed. Let tears and sadness, sickness and death be gone. There is a time that's coming. I can see you're all excited about that from the smiles on your faces. The hallelujahs rising. I know, we're Anglicans. We kind of keep it subdued, don't we? But we should be excited. That was the cry of the early church. Maranatha, come soon, Lord. Come. But in the meantime, let us be about the, the work, the calling you have called us to. From him, the whole body, from him, the whole body, every person within it, joined and held together by every supporting ligaments. Ligaments connect the bones, I think. The tendons that connect the muscles. But you see, we're not a disparate group of people. We're not a sort of a thigh bone and a finger bone spread out. We're connected one to another so that we're connected to the head, which is Christ. You can't be connected. You can't have a finger bone sticking out your head. It doesn't look right. 